welcome to Ben Davis Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Davis, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about one of my favorite things in the world, movies. Joining me this week is host of Robert Stoltz Movie Cast and SipPop.com contributor with a new series that you should totally check out. On the contrary, uh, Robert Buffar, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Of course, of course. It's always a blast. Yeah. Um, have you seen anything recently that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I was thinking about this question. I haven't seen a lot of movies lately, but I did binge a couple shows. I want to name one real quick, and then I'll get into the other. One is if you've heard of and enjoy a stand-up of Burt Kreischer, he has a new five-episode show on Netflix called The Cabin with Burt Kreischer. I watched it all like after midnight on a Saturday night, and I loved it all. So if you're into his comedy, go watch that. But the real one that I want to talk about is the boys because i never saw season one when the boys first came out but um because i typically don't watch new shows um in the first season no matter how rave reviews they're getting Uh, but when season two came out and people were still saying how great it was something just tickled my fancy even though i'm not typically the hugest superhero fan something just you know one day i got the urge to say like let me try out the boys so i watched both seasons in about two weeks. Uh, season two is excellent. Season one is solid, but I love, love season two. Um, I think it has the politics and intrigue of Game of Thrones mixed with the characters and intrigue of Succession all inside the superhero genre. Uh, there's great morality questions, some great action and acting. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. Uh, yeah, I just want to throw that out there. The Boys is fantastic, and I get what you're saying about like a, a series, uh, unless it's like something like Star Wars related or Marvel related right. or DC related. It's hard for me to invest so much time in a t- television show when it could be canceled, um, or the series could could, could just dive off in, in quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm very picky with TV series as well. Uh, but yeah, the boys is, it's fantastic. I'm glad you, you gave it a watch. It's the first season I'm with you. The first season's really, really good. It's funny, but the second season brings in a lot of, uh, morality questions, a lot of political questions and Mm -hmm. things of that nature. And it, again, I think you hit the nail on the head with the game of Thrones comparison that it brings in that kind of those politics to the show. It makes it very fun. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did because, like I said, I'm not super into like superhero stuff. That's why I wasn't super interested in it in the first place. Yeah, but I like I said, I saw the first season, thought it was good enough. The first season finale uh, had a good cliffhanger, so that's where I was like, all right, I got to try season two. And then season two, I watched I think over the course of two days, all eight episodes because yeah. that's how it, hard it grabbed me. It's really really good. I love that how. This season, last season, they dropped it all on in one big way where you could just binge it. They just right. dropped it all. Um, but this year, they dropped it, and it was first three episodes, and it became week to week. And I like that they did that because it just built up so much anticipation for the next episode. It was yeah. uh, Carly and I's uh, weekly uh, tradition to watch the boys. So it's nice. If I could have, if I could have, uh, if I was on board before when it was like still coming out week to week, I probably would have had the same attitude. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, 
so I just recently finished watching The Haunting of Bly, Bly Manor. I'm a huge fan of Haunting of Hill House. I have recommended that TV series several times. Mike Flanagan, just, I love his storytelling. But, and, and while I didn't love uh, Haunting of Bly Manor as much as Hill House, um, to me, this this is still really, really good. It, and by the end, I was uh, an emotional wreck. Uh, th- this show had no business hitting as hard as it did uh, because th- there's a central romance to it that I didn't necessarily buy the chemistry. Not that the the chemistry with the characters wasn't there. It was, they are both, both very charismatic actors. I just didn't buy their chemistry, but by that final episode, I was, Oh my God, I bought into it super hard. It was the last shot is perfect. It's, it's beautiful. Um, again, this is more of a, it's, it's more of a Gothic romance in the same vein as like Crimson Peak rather than actual horror series. Uh, I, I definitely think though, if if you're a fan of Hill House, you should definitely check us out. Um, it might take you a minute to get engaged, but once you get to around episode five, it's it's really really good. I that's another one that I've heard so many people talk about when first when Hill House came out and now Bly Manor. For whatever reason, I think it's the horror aspect. I just horror movies are already a lot for me, so I don't know how <laughs> I feel about getting into a horror series. Um, maybe I'll watch it sometime, but. Uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'll probably see it someday, but for now, I I can't muster up the guts to watch a full horror series. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. Uh, Carly is not a huge fan of horror at all, Mm -hmm. Um, but she watched all of Hill House with me, really, really enjoyed it, and watched most of Bly Manor with me and also really, really enjoyed it. And she's not the biggest horror fan. It's because they don't, it's not cheap horror. It always it's characters first, story first, and then the right. horror aspect is just a cool aspect of it. So maybe you'll engage with it. Um, maybe someday you'll check it out. Yeah, that it does sound better than straight, you know, horror jump scare stuff. So that's oh, no. more of the kind of horror that's up my alley. Yeah. Um. So, like I said on our uh, special Halloween edition of Ben Davis movie podcast. We have finished that up and we are moving on uh, from our theme of horror, moving on to something a bit brighter with the MCU, which is the Marvel cinematic universe. This was supposed to be in honor of the Eternals when I mapped out uh, my calendar for the year, but then it became black widow. And now because of COVID, you know, we just don't get nice things anymore. So it's it's here just because (laughs) This is the calendar. This is the way it was supposed to be. I'm not changing anything. Um, With that being said, unless you've been living under a rock since 2008's Iron Man, the MCU has been a constant in the pop culture zeitgeist. Uh, You know, time and time again, they've released hit after hit with Endgame finally becoming the crown jewel atop of the uh, worldwide box office, uh, grossing a ridiculous 2.78 2.78 billion dollars topping james cameron's avatar which held the record for nine years uh it also goes without saying that the mcu has the first ever best picture nomination for a comic book film with 2018's black panther uh, which is a historic uh, achievement um, both cu- culturally and for the genre itself 
so Rob, what are your general thoughts on the MCU as a whole? I know you said you're not a you're not a big superhero guy. You and I have had those conversations before. Yeah. And what it, but what is your favorite movie out of all the MCU? Yeah, so general thoughts like I'm not a huge superhero guy. I do like superheroes, but like um the MCU isn't one of my favorite franchises or anything like that, but I do still enjoy a lot of the movies. Um so like my top five, if that's okay, I'll just give would yeah, be report. the first two Guardians. The two Guardians movies are one and two. They're interchangeable for me, um, and that's why I'm here today. Yeah. Uh, then number three would be Black Panther, four Infinity War, and five Thor Ragnarok. So obviously, apart from Infinity War, I kind of prefer the ones that uh, stray a little bit from being so interconnected with the rest of the MCU mm-hmm. um, because I'm not as invested in the whole thing. I can feel like I can get more invested in just the movie itself. Um, so that's where my general detractions from the whole franchise as a whole come in. But when they're firing on all cylinders, I think these movies can be really, really great. So like those five along with yeah. like uh, Winter Soldier, or the first Iron Man or Doctor Strange. Uh, I like those ones a lot too. So just in general, I think it's really solid. Um, and I definitely see what, you know, 85% of culture loves about, about them. It's just not totally my thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's pretty, pretty very, it's, it's very good overall. Yeah. 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 Like I, I get what you're saying. Totally. Um, I, I have a similar issue with some of the other films feeling so interconnected that it, it kind of takes away from the movie itself being more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I've said, you know, many times before, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of the MCU. Um, they've made some bad movies, in my opinion. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Doctor Strange. I'm not the biggest mm-hmm. fan of Captain Marvel or Ant Man and the Wasp, even though I love the first Ant Man. Yeah. Um, but by and large, even their subpar movies, I find to be at least watchable and enjoyable, and you know, pretty entertaining. Um, you know what they've done and accomplished is really. Once you think about it, it's kind of unprecedented Unprecedented with their films averaging like a billion dollars at the box office, which is yeah. insane. That's your yeah. average. Right, right. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and they've never really had a critically panned movie out of all of them either. Um, the lowest rated one is 66%. That's Thor the Dark World. And that's that's pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. for that, that, that's solid. Um yeah. It's an insane accomplishment that will go down in the history books by essentially bringing kind of a TV formula of episodic storytelling to the the big screen. Having said all that though, uh part of me hates what the MCU has done to fandom culture, if that makes any sense. In what way? Uh you know you know what like you know the saying the greatest lie that ever ever told was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. to me, the greatest lie the MCU ever told was convincing the world or convincing the masses that you had to have a plan and set up yeah. each character with an yeah. individual movie before making the big team up. Right. It's yeah. the most contrived thing thrown at every movie, series, franchise, what have you. That isn't Marvel. Everything has to be done the quote-unquote Marvel way. And I just think if you do that, everything will feel the same. 
Um, again, I, I love the MCU. I just hate that part. I also don't think Marvel plans out their movies as much as everyone says that they do. There's some issues in this movie that you never really like in this guardians of movie that we're talking about today yeah. uh, that come up and they're never, they never address again. You know what I mean? So yeah. how planned out are these movies? Is that just something that a lot of people like to say, or is that they really do plan them out? I think they have a, like a thorough, no pun intended end game, but I don't know if it's as planned out like grandiose plan like everyone else thinks it can be well i think they were the first big franchise to do this right because no no one else was able to go iron man captain america thor hulk then the avengers uh i might be missing one i don't think so but yeah they did that and then the avengers and everyone loved the avengers and then since they were the first one with a proven formula that obviously worked incredibly well yeah uh all these other, you know, like DC or the the dark universe that died after what one movie one or whatever movie. else tried to do this, they always thought this is this is the only way to do it. Um, but yeah, it did kind of stifle any any room for creativity, or it kind of made people perceive that there's no room for creativity because since the whole idea is make money with these movies, yeah, uh, they didn't, you know, think about making one movie at a time and then being like, Hey, we can connect these or whatever. Uh, it was like you were saying, it was more focused on an end game instead of focusing on, uh, each single movie. Exactly. Um, Like, and I know you, I know you're a big fan of Batman V Superman, but that was one of the big problems I had with it. It was like, Oh, let's throw in flash and wonder woman and Aquaman stuff here. And that, that was part of what took away from, you know, the central conflict of Batman V Superman. Yeah. Well, to me, the reason that works, and this is just my opinion, the reason that it works so well in that movie is that it doesn't take away from the central focus because it's so little. It's very small and it's Mm -hmm. little, little things thrown at it. The main focus is, you know, Superman and Batman um, being essentially manipulated by a billionaire who has his hands in politics. Mm hmm. Which is why I love that movie so much because it it hits pretty close to home to today mm-hmm. um, in the world we live in. Uh, but yeah, it's again, it's I love what the MCU has done, but sometimes it could be to its de- detriment, like you're saying, kind of stifling that that little bit of creativity. And it also there seems to be this idea in in fandom culture where you have to do it the Marvel way. And when you try to do it the Marvel way, like the Dark Universe did, the constant is you're rushing it. You're rushing it. You're doing too much, which I never saw the Mummy movie, so I can't, I can't yeah. speak for the quality of that movie. But then when someone says, hey, we're going to do it one movie at a time, it's like, well, you need to plan it out first. And it's, it's okay, well, which one is it? And it's... It's infuriating sometimes that that kind of minutia, that minutia can kind mm-hmm. of stifle my opinions of the movies sometimes. In the movie business, people seem to take the wrong lessons from everything. You yeah. know, like after Dark Knight came out, they said, oh, let's make it dark instead of 
thinking about like what actually makes a dark knight great or like uh like you were just talking about trying to have it all planned out because there's the people who say you need to have it all planned out you need a george lucas overseeing it or a kevin feige Mm -hmm. when you could like the invisible man i've heard they're thinking about turning that into a into a larger expanded universe now because they did the invisible man which was really good really Uh, good wolf man is going to come out with uh ryan gosling um like and it but it doesn't seem like like there was nothing explicitly being set up for future movies in the invisible man yeah Um, i just think people need to take the lesson of there's this shared universe is a good idea Mm -hmm. but there's no there's no one right way to do it because you there just needs to be room for creativity marvel kind of stumbled upon it um there was no guarantee Iron Man or, or the Hulk was going to be successful. Um, they just caught lightning in a bottle with how great the original Avengers was. And they've, they've been able to run with it obviously since then and become the, you know, the most popular franchise today. Yeah. Like I, I know we're going kind of going off on a diatribe here, but it makes sense leading up to this movie because the first Iron Man was a huge financial success and it was a huge critical success. If the Dark Knight had not come out that year, that would have been the superhero film of the year. Yeah. And then Incredible Hulk came out. It had so-so box office results, so-so um, critical reception. Uh, I I really like that movie. I like Edward Norton's interpretation of the Hulk more. Than yeah, I think it's solid. Yeah. I, I don't know if I, um, I'm in the minority on that, but... Uh, I, th- I think uh, most people don't really love it that much, but I think... Yeah. I think people just love Mark Ruffalo so much that they get kind of he overlooked. Does. He's so nice. Yeah, I've, but I just <laughs> think that makes people overlook how solid that original Hulk was. Yeah. Um, and then after that, they had, it was Thor, no, it was Iron Man 2 came out. And I remember at the time, the critical reception of that was way less than the first one. And it, I don't think it made as much money, or maybe it, it did, made a little bit more money, but the critical reception wasn't as good. Uh, and then you had uh, Thor reception was good. Box office was solid. Same thing with Captain America. And then all of a sudden, um, Avengers came in, made a billion dollars. was like for a couple years, the third highest grossing movie of all time. Had the largest opening weekend for a few years until Jurassic World beat it. Um, that's really the one that, that really put the MCU on the map. And then I think that the movie, the two movies that made it be more than just blockbuster and popcorn movies and actually had a lot of depth to them, not saying that there's not depth in Iron Man or, uh, in any of the other ones. Uh, if you find depth in those, that's, that's great. Mm-hmm. But what made them not popcorn movies anymore and people not look at them as popcorn movies was, the one-two punch of the Winter Soldier in 2014, and then Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think you know that leads us to our movie here that we're yeah. talking about. I think it was this movie, or the one-two punch of Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, that really made people go, you know what? These movies they can be more than just popcorn movies. Um, they can they can have a lot of depth to them, a lot of character to them. Um, make statements about things um which we'll go ahead and we'll dive into it um sure 
that you know guardians of the galaxy it's it's directed by james gunn and it stars chris pratt zoe saldana dave batista vin diesel bradley cooper karen gillen michael rooker lee pace Benicio del toro glenn close and john c Riley. that is a stacked cast for a like a c-list superheroes right i was thinking about that this time when i was watching it it was like some some marvel movies like the actors have become big because of Marvel. Like I don't think Chris Evans or uh man, the guy who plays Bucky all of a sudden is gone uh, from sure. my head. Uh, Sebastian Sean or something like that. Uh, Sp- yeah. Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Yeah. yeah. Some, or, or even uh, Mark Ruffalo, who we were talking about some people, um, they were made like, Oh wait, no, sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I completely messed up what I was trying to say. Some MCU casts are great because, uh, Marvel made it so like like the people I was just talking about, like Chris Evans and Mark Ruffalo and Sebastian Stan or even Robert Downey Jr. who got taken to a whole new stratosphere because he became Iron Man. Um, but a lot of a lot of people in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are mostly known because of other things. Like I think Chris Pratt, his main role is uh, Star-Lord. But other than him, there's like Zoe Saldana, Vin Diesel, Bradley Cooper. Benicio del Toro, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, all of them, like maybe the top five or six, you won't think of MCU. Uh, for most of them, top fifteen, you won't think of an MCU movie. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe you'll get there for like Dave or Zoe Saldana or Bradley Cooper. But like most of these, I love, I love how they were able to do that with the cast. Is what I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, What's crazy to me, and Carly and I were talking about this. Excuse me, last night, Zoe Saldana is has a sneaky great resume like most people don't think about her when they think about big actresses well like she's been in some great franchises she was in star trek she was in avatar guardians of the galaxy like her she has the number one and number two highest grossing movies in her resume (laughs) like that's ridiculous. <laughs> That's really, really cool. She's good with space franchises, <laughs> especially yeah. where she has to be colored, like <laughs> yeah. colored an unnatural human color, <laughs> like blue, blue or green, green. <laughs> oh God, yeah. If if you're not familiar with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which you should totally be familiar with it if you're listening to this podcast because we're about to spoil the heck out of it (laughs) um the plot synopsis reads like such according to google brash space adventurer peter quill finds himself in uh the quarry of relentless bounty hunters after he steals an orb coveted by ronin a powerful villain to evade ronin quill is forced to or into an uneasy truce with four desperate misfits gun toting rocket raccoon tree like humanoid Groot, uh igmatic gamora and vengeance driven drax the destroyer but when he discovers the orb's true power and the cosmic threat it poses quill must rely his ragtag group on his ragtag group to save the universe a lot of that is a mouthful yeah, now, a long one. Yeah. Now, given the day, my favorite Marvel films are Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and this gem. I love the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, this is by far 
aside from Thor Ragnarok, probably the most rewatchable Marvel film. And it's not even close, I think, with those two. You can even throw Guardians of the Galaxy 2 in there. Mm-hmm. I That was a movie I saw. I initially didn't like it as much as the first one. Now it's like, eh, I'd like it just as much. <laughs> it's, yeah. yes. it's, hard, it's hard not to. It's so good. Um, it's soundtrack, it's beautiful use of colors, and the fact that each character is is so unique and different adds such a, a special flavor to this film that sets it apart from all the other Marvel films because it feels so disconnected while also still feeling very familiar. So, Robert, when was the first time you saw Guardians of the Galaxy and how does it compare to how you feel about it now? Yeah, so the first time I saw it was whenever it came out. What was it 2014, I think you said? 2014 um, yeah i saw it the summer it came out i went with my brothers and i to the theaters and we all loved it uh and to this day i still love it i mentioned earlier it's my favorite mcu movie it's honestly between this and its sequel for my favorite mcu because i think guardians of the galaxy 2 like you were just saying is just as good if not better depending on the day yeah um, it's really really good i yeah watching it Last night or a couple nights ago, or the first one when I was watching it for this, I was just reminded this this thing is great all the way through. There's a couple scenes when it drags, and we'll get into that, but it, they don't last very long at all. Um, overall, it's like a 98 out of 100 for me. Uh, okay. I think it's I think it's really it's just really great. I love it a lot. Yeah, man, it's 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 so so good. I you know the first time I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy was in the theater on opening night and a packed out theater to my surprise. Uh, you know, I remember the lead up to this movie being pretty unique in the sense that this was at the time looked at as Marvel's biggest risk. Cause who mm-hmm. knew who these characters were? You know, I kind of knew who they were, but I'm a nerd <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I only just really knew the basics. I didn't know much. Uh, I was just blown away though. Uh, this movie is is so good. I enjoyed this film so much. The heart, the emotion, the the action, and of course the laughs was something I hadn't really ever experienced quite to this level in a Marvel film. You know, I had chuckled in all the movies before this, but this one was the one where I started. I was laughing out loud in certain parts. Yeah. Uh, the world was so you know fresh and new, yet you know familiar. It still felt sort of like a Marvel film, but very detached from everything else. I didn't feel like it had to set up a bunch of stuff. Um, not to mention how great the soundtrack was. The soundtrack is so good. Um, I watch it now and my appreciation for this film has, is, it grows more and more. There's a lot of depth to this movie. I love its themes of found family growing up and learning to let go and move on no matter how much pain or hurt that may cause us. Um, we must, you know, go through what we go through and it helps us grow and mature. Uh, it's why Guardians of the Galaxy franchise really holds a special place in my heart and Guardians ranks is, I think my fifth favorite comic book movie with, you know, that ranking being the Dark Knight, BVS, Man of Steel, Endgame, and Guardians. Um, and you know how much I love Bat, uh, Dark Knight, Batman v Superman yeah. and Man of Steel. Like this is right up there with them. In mm-hmm. fact, I might put Guardians a little bit closer um, uh, to the number three spot, 
just talking about it. I I love this movie. I love it. I think I love it more than Endgame. Um, yeah, I I certainly love it more than Endgame. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think Endgame. You were you were actually talking earlier about how the MCU is such a good accomplishment. Like mm-hmm. I appreciate Endgame as an accomplishment for like the culmination of everything that they're able to do and get this whole cast together and make this behemoth of a movie that pleased audiences. Um, but if I wanted, if I was going to talk about like great movies and which I am talking about a great movie, it's Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, the Rotten Tomato score on this movie is pretty high too. It's 91% with a consensus being Guardians of the Galaxy is just as irreverent as fans of the frequently zany Marvel comic would expect, as well as funny, thrilling, full of heart, and packed with visual splendor. Uh, do you think the score holds up? Uh, yeah, I think it's right where it belongs. Um, I, Yeah, I wouldn't expect it to get really any more or any less if it came out today. Yeah, like... It's crazy to me though is this was the Marvel film that I was like okay this this one might get the the negative rating. I'm not sure cuz like I I love the trailer. I thought it looked zany. I thought it looked crazy, but I thought most people would think it was too zany, it was too crazy, it wasn't focused. All this other stuff. But lo and behold, you know, the score is very high. People love this movie. I remember it was top of the box office for quite some time too. Like, it just kept making money. Um, I remember it being still out in the theater. This movie came out August 1st. I still remember it being out in the theater in October of that year. Uh-huh. And going. To, I went to go see it a third time. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it's I, I, I like the, the breakdown of it. And I, I think it's, it's zany, but it also has a lot of heart to it. And of course, it's really, really funny. Yeah. But we'll get into some some fun facts here. Um, when Dave Batista found out he got the role of Drax the Destroyer, he broke down in tears, overjoyed at getting a Marvel comic book role. He prepared for the role with an acting coach. Uh, now, I have a bit of history with Batista. Not saying like not that I know him. I don't know him. What what I mean by that is is I am a huge, especially back then, a huge wrestling fan. Uh, he was Batista, known as Batista, just straight up Batista, um, as the six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pound dude. Um, he was big, um, yeah, really big guy. He was one of my favorites. Uh, and I remember when he left WWE, um, he went in with the intention of becoming, or went left with the intention of becoming an actor. And I was like, oh, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see about that. And then now to look at him and go, okay, he was hilarious as Drax, but he was also really good in his small role in Blade Runner 2049. And he was—he has a very small role at the beginning of the movie, and he does a fantastic job and continues to grow as an actor. And I look forward to seeing him in Dune. He is... He's really good. I actually really like that comedy that he did with Camille Maggiani. Oh, you do? I was yeah. going to bring that up because I, I don't think that one's that great because I, I also love him as Drax. Um, I need to, I'm going to watch Blade Runner again really soon because Aaron and I are going to talk about it on my podcast. I know we, you and I have been talking about that for a long time. Yes. Um, but I'm finally going to rewatch it. I don't, so I don't remember exactly how he is. 
But I remember thinking that he wasn't too much different than Drax in, in Stuber. Um, it was just a little awkward for me. But I, I, I love him as Drax. Yeah. Um, I know we're talking about the first one, but I think he takes it to a whole nother level in the second one. Yeah. Like the whole thing with the, the batteries. Um, and this scene might actually be in Infinity War. Like, I'm standing so still, you can't even see me. Like, yeah. <laughs> he was born to play Drax, I think. I'm not a wrestling fan. I've never been into that. Nothing against it, just never been my thing. But like, so I didn't know anything about him beforehand, but I think he's so perfect as Drax. He is, he is so, so funny uh, in, in this movie. And again, like you said, he amps it up in the second one and in Infinity War. He doesn't have much in Endgame, except there's that one shot of him jumping on the alien's back and going, ah, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Was he dusted? Um, I don't remember. The what? Was he dusted in Infinity War? Yeah, he got dusted. Yeah, he he got dusted. Um, but yeah, he's really funny. Where he's telling, uh, uh, was it it's Mantis? Yeah. She's ugly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that, his whole dynamic with her is so good. It's um, it's so funny. And the whole the first. I guess we're talking about the second one now, just but in the first when he jumps into the big monster's mouth at the beginning and all that. It's the same density from the outside as the inside, same thickness. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, man. Yeah, I'm I'm super proud for for Batista. He was an, an, an awesome wrestler. He retired a couple of years back um with his final match against Triple H, but uh which I liked. I know a lot of people didn't, but I I, I am I am a proud Long time Batista fan, and I'm I'm very happy that he is doing well. Um, at around the 56 minute mark, the scene where Peter drops the orb during the collector scene was not scripted. According on uh, according to the commentary, Chris Pratt accidentally dropped it during filming, but uh, remained in character through the whole thing. So he stayed in the so it stayed in the final film. Chris Pratt later revealed to James Gunn that he intentionally dropped the orb figured it was better to ask forgiveness than permission um i think this fits the character he's goofy yeah like, he's not my biggest fault with infinity war which i get i, I get it infinity war is supposed to be the worst versions of these characters um everyone keeps failing but i feel like they dumb him down a bit in infinity war because he's goofy but he he's not stupid yeah yeah and it's stuff like this that's that's pretty cool um where he drops the orb it's it's funny it's fitting for the character he's goofy yeah i like it you know i hadn't like had that thought fully formed what you just said but i agree with you because when i was watching guardians just the other night preparing for this i i noticed exactly that like i didn't follow my my train of thought to get to your conclusion but i was like he seems just more competent than he does mm-hmm. in Infinity War, which I've also seen a lot. Like I yeah. love the, the whole "don't call us plucky" line, or when he's intimidated by by Thor and all that. But you're right; that does seem more like dumbed down or goofy than like goofy, but also extremely competent. Yeah, uh, he's he very street smart. Yeah, he's very very street smart. He's savvy. Like obviously, he doesn't. He got, you know, kidnapped or taken away when he was very young. I'm assuming he didn't go to school. So he doesn't, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he doesn't have a lot of education, but because of that, he has a lot of wits and smarts about him because he's had to grow up the way that he's grown up. So he plays it perfectly in this, but it's it's uh, an Infinity War. I feel like they might have dumbed him down just a bit, just for laughs. Although those lines are funny, you know, don't call us plucky. We don't right, know what yeah. it means. Or, you know, the favorites when he's like, just like in Footloose, he's like, that movie sucks. And his facial reaction is priceless. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. what? No. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, I, lo- I do. I, I wonder, I didn't, I wasn't able to make that many pop culture callbacks when I was, or based on things that I saw when I was 10, uh, or however old he was when he was uh, abducted. Because he makes references to Footloose and like Jackson Pollock and all this. Like, maybe they have that stuff <laughs> in space. Maybe we could save that for does this make sense? But um, that's just something that I thought of. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people have like really good memories. Sure. Um. Chris Pratt apparently stole his Star-Lord costume from the set for the sole purpose of having it available so he could show up in costume to visit sick children in a hospital who might want to see Star-Lord. I thought that this was very admirable of uh, Mr. Pratt. Uh, You know, I know a couple weeks back there was a lot of controversy about who's the best Pratt or or not Pratt, who's the best Chris, and everyone always jumps on the dog pile on Chris Pratt for whatever reason. I, I don't, don't really know, but uh, I'm a big Chris Pratt fan. And I'm, I'm, I think that that's very admirable. If you're going to steal something, do it for a good reason, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't think the studio would be too upset if, you know, Chris Pratt is bringing Marvel good publicity by saying, I'm going to visit sick kids in the hospital to make them feel better. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, That's another asking forgiveness rather than permission and they're not going to be like no you have to give it back so you can stop visiting sick kids yeah it's <laughs> it's funny uh, I, I i agree with that sentiment <laughs> yeah. uh james gunn stated that chris pratt's audition was so good he was prepared to offer him the role even if pratt did not lose the weight or get in shape in time Gun joked that he was willing to CGI a six pack on Pratt's body. Um, however, Pratt uh, asked Gun to give him six months to lose fifty pounds, and he ended up losing sixty. Um, and they make a joke about this in the uh, in Parks and Rec. I think it's like in one of the final seasons where it op- opens up, and he's like, "How'd you lose so much weight? I just stopped drinking beer, man. Wait, how much beer were you drinking?" a lot (laughs) a lot (laughs) it's super funny i think there was a graham norton appearance i love graham norton's show um i think chris pratt was on that and he like or he uh reenacted the conversation he had with his then wife anna ferris when he found out he got the role and he's like great i got a role in in this marvel movie and like Holds his hand over the phone. Honey, I gotta lose seventy pounds. It's like, but great anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous how much weight. Because I didn't like you see him in Parks and Rec, and he's heavier. But yeah. I didn't. Think there was like sixty to seventy pounds to lose on him. Well, but there's the one it, scene where Andy takes off all his clothes when running is too hard, and you can see he he did have a lot to him uh, to turn all that fat into muscle. I'm. I'm honestly not surprised it it was that much. 
yeah it's uh it, it's crazy that he did that it takes a lot of dedication as someone who's done bodybuilding competitions dropping weight and getting down to like that lean it's uh i don't do steroids or anything like that so it's hard to maintain that look for a long time and when you're having to do it for like a movie where you're shooting three you know four months that's that's a long time to do that and he's kept up with fitness too like yeah he has he, he, he put it back on or anything like that he's now known as an action star primarily yeah he's the jurassic world franchise this love to see him get into some dramatic stuff which you and i talked about on your podcast um iron man was planned to have a cameo in this role an homage to being to his being the guardian's latest member and the 2013 run of the comic but this was scrapped when Robert Downey Jr. said he may not reprise the role of Tony Stark in the future. However, he obviously did when he signed a contract to reprise his role in two Avengers sequels. Uh, that kind of goes to my 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 question at the beginning. How planned out are these movies? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> if, you, if you're having your main actor walk away, then obviously they're not as planned out as you would think. Well, if it was just a cameo, you'd think maybe they run into him somewhere for some reason. It's like a post credit scene. Yeah. But I'm glad that he didn't end up being in this movie because that's my biggest problem with the MCU Spider-Man movies is that they're not as much Spider-Man as they are Avengers colon Spider-Man. Iron know, Man and, Jr. Yeah. <laughs> Iron Man Jr. Yeah, I... Uh... I, I like the MCU Spider Spider-Man Far From Home. It's probably my favorite Spider-Man movie, but I get the complaints of he comes across as Iron Man Jr. and not so much Spider-Man. Spider-Man is right. not special enough, um, which is ridiculous. Uh, but um, we usually only do five fun facts, but I threw in a sixth one because I thought this was pretty cool. Ben Davis, but not this one, not not this guy. Um, is the director of photography for this movie, which is pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't know there was a guy named Ben Davis in the uh, in, uh, in the uh, Hollywood industry. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I actually noticed that when I was watching this the other night, and I have it written down. I was going to bring it up during the fun facts section, and then I noticed <laughs> that you had it here in the notes, and I figured I'll let you do it. But I was, <laughs> it's it's pretty cool that there's a. I was like, hey, that's the reason I'm watching this movie right now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? Um, it, it feels cool to have a second career, you know, doing being the director of photography for Marvel films. You know, I kind of like to keep it on the low. You know, I don't say much about it. I like to keep a low profile. So that's <laughs> the reason you wanted to talk about this one because it's your own work and you're just trying to, you know, humble brag. <laughs> you got to promote your own work, man. You got to hustle somehow. <laughs> All righty. Before we get to our award section, we're going to take a quick break to let you hear an ad from our sponsor. And we are back. Thank you so much to our sponsors over here at Ben Davis Movie Podcast. It means a lot to us. Uh, but we are going to move on to our award section. And Robert, there is a lot of scenes for favorite scenes. A lot. It's 18. Yes. Um, we don't have to go oh, in detail on all of them. Um, we can just talk about the ones that we really, really enjoy. Um, and I'll start off with this, uh, the opening, the opening sequence. 
I am a sucker for opening sequences, as uh, evident by this podcast. But uh, this one in particular is really good. It, it struck a nerve with me as as a um, someone whose mother uh, is a breast cancer survivor. I know in the movie um, his mother has brain cancer, but I've seen my mother look like that. So it was mm-hmm. when this is a Marvel film. I go see it. I'm expecting you know something joyous. And then you see that and you're kind of like, oh, no, this this got serious real quick. And I think that's why I like this movie so much is because you have the humor, you have the heart, but you also have this scene that sets up Peter Quill as a character in his childhood trauma, which is why he's kind of set in this perpetual state of arrested development where he's a, a, a man child. Yeah. And. One of the most heart-wrenching things in this movie is when she wants him to take his hand or her hand. And it's like he doesn't want to take her hand. It's not because he's it's scared he's scared to let go. And he know he thinks and in his at least that's how I read it in his in his head, if he grabs her hand, then it's saying goodbye. And he doesn't want to say goodbye. Yeah. He doesn't want to move on. Uh and it's incredibly powerful in a marvel film that you know at this point there hadn't really been a movie that had pulled at my heartstrings i mean winter soldier did with that you know because i'm with you to the end of the line you know because me and my brother are so close and i you know i think i think of that line when i think of my brother Mm -hmm. or when i think of my brother think of that line this to me hit me a lot closer to home so i was like whoa like, this was an impactful ending or opening and it sets up perfectly the character of Peter Quill and why he is the way that he is. Yeah. This is more like overtly personal than I'm with you to the end of the line or something like that. Yeah. Because with that, with Captain America and winter soldier or Bucky, they're two best friends who are like brothers, but this is like a literal moment of someone's mother dying, you know, uh that's where it has that ability to hit more hit closer to home uh it's like that's what i love about the guardians movies is that even though they're these wacky fun zany outer space movies um that has what one scene on earth which is this scene we're talking about they're still they're still so grounded and they're still so human um and that's Part, partly it's pretty much the biggest reason why they're my two favorite Marvel movies. Um, they're the ones that feel most personal, the ones I can relate to the most uh, out of, out of any of the, the MCU movies. Um, and I really love that, that they're able to do that. Yeah, man, this, this scene was great. It's great. And it, I, again, you hit the nail on, on the head when you said the, this is more deeply personal um, than that. Um, moving on to, Retrieving the orb. So after that scene, you, you flash forward several years, and it kind of starts out like almost exactly like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, you know, you're expecting it to kind of have this uh, serious tone, and then you see Peter Quill tap the thing on his head, and then he hits the uh, the uh, the, walk the tape. Yeah, the Walkman and come and get your love starts playing. And it again, the dancing and every it's it's perfect. It's joyous, you know, because 
I don't know about you, Robert, but when I clean the house, I like to have my headphones in, listen to music, and sometimes I catch myself dancing. And I was like, you know what? I relate to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I love the opening scene. If I had to pick a favorite scene in the movie, I think this would be high high up there uh, because of exactly what we were talking about. Um, it's got like this sinister music. Um, weird comparison just came to my head. It's almost like the opening of Rise of Skywalker with Kylo Ren going yeah. to to meet uh, Palpatine. But then all of a sudden it takes a complete left turn from the, the tone that it's originally setting up in the first, you know, 30 seconds or something. And then Star-Lord's dancing, kicking the little lizards all over the place, using them as microphones. Yeah, grabs the lizards, use it as the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so much fun. And it and you've mentioned the soundtrack a couple times. It sets up like that this is going to be a huge part of the movie. Um, I guess this is a good place to mention it. The the soundtrack in this movie is so great. Like the, the classic music that it uses. Mm-hmm. I love all of that. But on top of that, the score is also great. Like any music that is playing in the background of this movie, you have like a hundred percent chance that it's going to be either a catchy song or just well-composed score. Yeah. I love the melody of when Groot gives the flower away to the little girl, when he lets the lights go out. Mm-hmm. Um, of his hands. I don't know exactly what those are. And of course the, we are group moment. I love that little melody. It's yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, I love this scene too, especially because the I'm star. Who are you? Star Lord. Who? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is one of the greatest memes out there. Yep. <laughs> who? It's so great. Some, some things just are destined to like, as soon as they, air or as soon as they're released in the theaters that's going to be like a, a thing you see all over twitter all over the internet or something like that yeah the uh, chime in how hin, however you say his name Heinz, hinsu i think yeah i'm sorry i can't say his name but him saying that right there you know you know that's going to be you're going to see that forever now because the internet is unending yeah it's it's great of course the Star Lord, man, legendary outlaw. Like, right. he's so bummed out. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also noticed for the first time uh, in this sequence, Star Lord throws like that triangle bomb thing, um, and you expect it to blow up, but it's actually like a magnet and people get pulled to it. Yeah. Um, and I and I really, I never noticed that. Just like imagine you and your friend just can't break free of each other's shoulders for. Because of this thing that you're all stuck to, and then it lets go. Uh, Imagine how hard that would have to pull you to the ground, too. Yeah. That would suck. (laughs) Be concussed. Capturing of the Guardians. So this is kind of like an introduction to uh, four of our main protagonists with Drax, or not with Drax, but Gamora, uh, Star-Lord, uh, Rocket and Groot. And it's kind of like their first interaction with each other. Uh, and I just, I really like the the action set piece of this. And I love how Gamora is obviously kicking the crap out of Star-Lord, but he's just a bit wittier. So he's able to escape all of her attacks. Like, I don't think he lands one solid attack on her at all in their fight scene. Um, 
it just goes to show how much of a badass Gamora is. It's it's yeah. excuse me, it's really awesome. And then of course, uh, the shot of Drax or not Drax, but uh, I don't know why I keep saying Drax, but uh, Rocket drinking out of the fountain. Yeah, or not Rocket, but uh, Groot. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this scene? Do you have anything in particular to add, or just? Yeah, I have that on my favorite scenes as well. Um, each of them does their own thing. Like Gamora is very uh, tactile. She, you know, she knows how to fight. She knows how to uh, go after what she wants. Like you said, uh, Star Lord is very witty. He he uses like his foot tie things. Mm-hmm. He, he gets what he he gets what he needs to. Um, and then Rocket and Groot are just off doing their own thing, trying to just get, uh, capture these people to get the bounty. Um, it also has one of the lines that I quote the most from this movie. Uh, since me and my brothers saw it together when it first came out, something that we always quote is Rocket saying, Groot, why are you lying? Just like the, the way that Bradley Cooper delivers that line. Uh, why are you why lying? Are you lying? Yeah. <laughs> really great. Yes, you did. I saw you. Why are you lying? Yeah, It's <laughs> great. Yeah. Yeah, and this scene introduces the dy- dynamic between uh, Groot and Rocket, and which I think is one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, it reminds me of my dogs, uh, Baloo and Gatsby. Gatsby being a Bichon Poodle mix, but oddly enough, he is the alpha of a you know eighty pound Weimaraner mm. um, who is as goofy as they come. <laughs> That's uh, right. Yeah. Their dynamic is it reminds me of Rocket and Groot. <laughs> nice. Uh Guardians arriving at the prison. Uh I love this scene for one reason and one reason alone, and that is hooked on a feeling. Mm. Um I love the introduction to that. You also see how protective Star Lord is over, you know, the tapes his mom has made for him. Right. That he's willing to get like shocked to get them obviously put himself in harm's way. Uh, this is also reveals the, uh, transformation that Chris Pratt went through to, for this role, but you also see rocket and, you know, all the stuff on his back, you know, what are those things you, you see star Lord look at him and then he doesn't really say anything about it. He just knows, okay, this guy's been through something and that's kind of great that all these characters in this movie have been through something. They have damage, but their damage is not a weakness. They all rely on each other to make it their strength. And I think that that is wonderful. Yeah. And I'll actually get into that idea a little bit later in one of the later scenes. Um, but I, I actually love the scene that comes just before them getting to the, the prison um, when they're each captured uh, Gamora, Star-Lord, Groot and Rocket and John C. Riley and I don't know the actor's name, but the guy from uh, Shaun of the Dead, the third roommate. Um, yeah. They're identifying each one of the guardians and, you know, Groot is there just being like, eh, whatever being the, how you described your dog. Uh, <laughs> then Star-Lord is doing the, the middle finger machine. He's like, oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know how this thing worked. Like, Tries to put it down. Can't. Yeah. It's like, broken. Sorry, it's broken. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love, I wanted to shout out that scene too. It was really good. That's a great one, man. I, I can't believe I didn't even write that one down. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Uh, what a bunch of a-holes. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. 
Um, next scene I have is uh, introduction of Drax. And I don't count the shot of Drax. When I say the introduction of Drax, what I mean is him coming into the room where the uh, prison inmates have taken Gamora and they plan on killing her. And it's his interaction with Star-Lord, Peter Quill, that is just so fantastic. It's so hilarious. He's like, yeah, you should keep him. Al- you should keep her alive. So when uh, Ronan gets here, you can slit his throat. And he goes... Why would I? Why would I put my finger to his throat? He's like, no, no, this is for slitting his throat. He goes, I would not want to slit his throat. I would want to cut off his head. He's like, oh, yeah. it's a figure of speech, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then it leads to later on when his people are completely literal. Metaphors go over his head. Nothing goes over my head. My reflexes are too fast. I would catch it. <laughs> I'd offer anything for uh, the protection of a muscle-bound whack job who would kill me if I don't protect him. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever he says. I forget exactly, but... uh, Another funny little thing there is is when he agrees, the little uh, inmate agrees with him, and then he goes, yeah, yeah, and then Drex looks at him and goes, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Intimidating him. It's it's funny. Yeah, Uh, Yeah, it's a good scene. Speaking of uh, metaphors going over their head, this is the scene I have next, the escaping of the prison. Uh, This is really funny. I remember the clip dropping on the internet of Groot taking the box first uh, before the actual escape begins, the taking the prosthetic leg. (laughs) You want to take my what? (laughs) Yeah. Was he hobbling around? <laughs> it's Did just... he actually need it? No, I just wanted to see what he would do. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that seems yeah, really funny. In there... But the... Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say I had it in my best scenes, like just the one quick cut in this whole sequence, a whole sequence when they're escaping from the prison when like all this action is going on all this fighting with rocket and Groot and drax and and gamora and then it just cuts very calmly to uh quill talking to the inmate and goes you need my what and then it goes right back to all the like (laughs) craziness and noise that's going on in the prison it's just like really good editing just this uh little four second quiet scene or shot sandwiched between all this craziness it's really, really funny, and the reaction to, I had to transfer him 4,000 units. Yeah. <laughs> he starts laughing. Rocket doesn't Rocket, care. Rocket's just a fan of chaos. Yeah. Uh, I just have here the line, Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know, but if she had a black light, everything in here was like a Jackson Pollock painting. Hear Rocket just go. You have issues, Quill. <laughs> My question about that though is, does how does Rocket know who uh, Jackson Pollock is? Right, that that's the question. Um, yeah. You sacrifice logic for a good line, and I don't really mind sacrificing logic when the line is so good. Yeah, and apparently that was an ad lib from Pratt himself. Uh, doesn't surprise me. Yeah, pretty funny. 
Uh, I'm a sucker for romance, so I have uh, Peter and Gamora dance. It's very sweet. It's also very funny. The uh, the Kevin Bacon speech about Footloose and the the dance to do what? Who put the sticks up their butts? Yeah, who put the sticks up their butts? That's cruel. No, not literally. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's funny. Of course, the pelvic sorcery line is yeah. really funny. Oh, not succumb to your pelvic sorcery. It's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, I, I love. I love how their dynamic uh, evolves over the course of these movies, like Mm -hmm. from this one to Guardians 2 to Infinity War. Uh, Yeah, the I love you more than anything line she gives to him. It's very, very sweet. You understand why Peter gets so angry at Thanos when he finds out what he he did. Right. Um, Why? Because he's lost everything. You know, his spoiler alerts for the sequel... His, he killed his dad because his dad was a gigantic a-hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, he lost his mom, and now he's lost that other connection. And he lost his, you know, his um, father figure, his real father figure, and um, Yondu in the sequel. So at that point, he's kind of lost everything. So you understand why he he gets as angry. And I think it kind of all starts from this scene. And I can't wait to see what happens in Guardians of the Galaxy three with them trying to fall back in love and i hope to christ that there is a scene where thor has like an earpiece and is telling him what to say or something yeah that would be fun like this worked on jane it'll work i promise <laughs> goes He's to thor coming back right do what jane's coming back right mhm yeah. and uh thor uh, love and thunder which I'm I'm interested to see. I trust Taika Waititi, but I, I'm oh, yeah. I'm interested to to see how that that works out. Um, Infinity Stone explanation. Um, I have this down mostly because of the importance that it has to the overall MCU. Not and it's a cool scene. Uh, the explosion is is really well done, um, and the understanding. This is kind of like the hint to what's to come but it doesn't feel forced it feels like a natural part of the story finding out what this stone in particular is because it's the main focus but also finding out what these other stones are what they look like maybe not necessarily explaining going into detail what they are so it doesn't feel forced it feels natural yeah so i talked about how i like that this is like less connected to the rest of the mcu like this scene you were just talking about, it's important to the to what happens in the future movies, but it doesn't feel like uh, like the stuff in Age of Ultron, like setting up Ragnarok. The Infinity Stone in this one is more of just a MacGuffin to get the the rest of the story working, um, mm-hmm. to keep it so contained with just with the Guardians, and it just makes sense that they explain, oh, this is Infinity Stone. Here's everything that you need to know about it, and that's basically all you get here and you don't need any more and it, the movie just moves on with the journeys of these specific characters so it's really well done yeah i i agree peter saves gamora i have this scene because i love the score but i also love that it's showing him grow a little bit as a character that he's willing to give up his own life to to save gamora who he clearly has, you know, some type of connection to, sees that he has some type of connection to. 
Um, so does I, he? I... Oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Is he giving himself up? Like, is he risking his life there? Because immediately before, I have this scene in my best scenes too. But immediately before he tells Yandu his coordinates. So is he going out to save Gamora knowing that Yandu is on his way? Or is he being like self-sacrificial? I think it's a mix of both. He's hoping that Yandu will get there in, you know, in time. Because Rocket is telling him, you know, you won't last out there, you'll die. Right. And he's going all, you know, Leia in space. His face is like freezing over. Um, looks like obviously he can't breathe. So it looks like he's could be on the verge of death. So he's kind of risking his life and kind of he's a gambler. He He's hoping that, uh, at least from my perspective, that um, Yondu will show up in time. But it's a gamble if he gets there in time. Because sure. Yondu will show up. It's just if he gets there in time or not. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I'll, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy the score, though. Again, yeah. the score... The score is is great. Aside from the soundtrack, you were yeah, it's very very good. Yeah. Uh, Guardians coming together in the circle, uh, as Rocket would say, standing around like a bunch of jackasses. Uh, I I like this scene because again, it all of these characters have lost something, all of them, um, whether it's you know. Uh, Star Lord losing, in essence, his childhood while also, you know, losing his mother. Uh, Gamora, you know, half her people have been wiped out. Um, and she was also robbed of her childhood because she was, you know, the daughter of Thanos. He plucked her up when she was very, very young. Um, Drax has lost his family. Uh, Groot is the last of his kind, and uh, Rocket is unique to himself. You know, there's no one like him but him. So they they are all kind of loners, and it's in this scene where they kind of come together as a found family, and it's their you know their losses have become their each other's strengths, and I really like that. Yeah, earlier. I mentioned like my favorite scene in the whole movie. And I think this is easily number one because I don't think I need to add anything to its emotional resonance because you just, you just explained it all so well. Um, that's why I love it so much. Like uh, Quill's line saying we're all losers, not, not losers in the sense, like the insult sense, but like we've all lost stuff, yeah. um, lost things, lost homes, lost people. Um, but it goes from that to like the witty dialogue where, he goes, I have 12% of a plan. And he's like, that's barely a plan at all. Groot says, it's better than 11. Thank you, Groot. At least someone has a clue. And then you see him just eating like a twig off his shoulder. <laughs> yeah. like, like it goes goes through all that. And then, but it also then when they're each standing up, they're each giving a little bit of a bit of a speech. Um, obviously Quill's big speech and then Gamora's speech and uh, Drax talking about finally having friends, um, <laughs> which is also another good line later. He's like, this weird tree. He is my friend, you know, like, but that all this yeah. green whore. Yeah. All right. We're <laughs> done. <laughs> but then I remember when I heard that, and if that's one of the loudest laughs I did, cause it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. 
and then someone else in calling someone a whore that's insulting and then someone else insults her and he blows that person up or at least tries to with the rocket because no one talks to my friend that way it's like what <laughs> because he doesn't see it as a as an insult he thinks like she's literally a whore but <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> But all that leading up to like the the culmination of when they're all standing up and it's like what it means. But then, like you said, Rocket is just like, well, look at us. We're all standing up like a bunch of jackasses. Like, I I just love that scene so much. It's my favorite scene in the movie. It spoiler alert. It might be my favorite too. Um, the next thing I have here is the just the line, Star Lord, finally. (laughs) because it's it's the culmination to the beginning of the movie no one really recognizes him and him just trying to be known uh, trying to get his name out there and he says star lord it's that gratifying like "Ah, finally (laughs) look look on his face yeah and of course the, the scene another part of that scene that's really funny is Finger to the throat means death. <laughs> yeah. He goes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> it's like you, you got the right idea there. Yeah, you're almost there. It's <laughs> good enough. You're starting to understand the, the concept. Yeah. Yondu takes out an army. So <clears throat> in the in this movie, having rewatched it for the first time in a while, after watching the second one a bunch. There is a lot of Easter eggs planted to how much Yondu actually cares about Peter Quill. Yeah, right. But also, there's a lot of hints in this movie about how dangerous he is. And you don't really ever see it. You're like, okay, why is Peter scared of this guy? You know, he has the pointy arrow, but like, it's not that he whistles with. It's not that scary. And then you see him take out an entire army in a matter of like seconds with this mm-hmm. thing. And it's like, okay, makes sense. Right. I'd be scared too. <laughs> it's, it's nothing really important to this scene. Nothing thematically important, but it's just really I, cool. It's really, really cool. Yeah. Uh, but this one, I think is thematically important. Uh, we are Groot. Mm-hmm. This is a great scene. It's them finally coming you know, kind of accepting that big, it's almost like a metaphor, the big hug. Like right. Groot's wrapping his arms around them saying, we are family, we are Groot. You know, it's, we've been waiting for him to say something else besides I am Groot. And that subtle twist of just the, you know, we are Groot is perfect. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It, it's a great, great, great scene. Dance off to save the galaxy. Yeah. <laughs> dance off, a, bro. Yeah. Dance off, bro. I'm distracting you, you big turd blossom. <laughs> it's it's funny, but also again, Peter s- sacrificing himself. Uh being that almost wanting to be that sacrificial lamb, grabs the the power stone, and then again, another time where they're coming together as a as a, a family in a unit. And to me, the most touching part of this scene, aside from the jokes at the beginning, and that is him, final, Peter finally accepting, you know, letting go and moving on. He right, takes, his, yeah. yep, takes his mother's hand. 
which is really Gamora, which mm-hmm. is it's kind of it's you know in a way she's kind of a it sounds weird, but she's almost kind of like a motherly f- figure to him. He's a man child. So well, I think he's like he wasn't allowing himself to really get attached to anything mm-hmm. because of this whole thing with his mother. Yeah. Um, but he got the closure with his mother and now he's allowing himself to feel attached to Gamora and the rest of the, is a guardian. So I don't think it's necessarily like a mother thing, but just like mm-hmm. a personal attachment type of thing. Yeah. That makes much more sense than what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's a great scene. Of course, I love the line. You set yourself bitch with the guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's great. It's the great come. It, it's a great comeback. I, I like it. You're more wittiness. Ow. Yeah. Um, I also love the scene of him. Again, this is him allowing himself to grieve and to move on. Him listening to the volume two mixtape. And it's very sweet. Gamora comes into the scene. You see the tears in his eyes. She's kind of hopping around and dancing. I think she knows how much that means to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's sweet. I, I really enjoy it. Of course, yeah, dancing think. Groot is funny. Yes. And the last last scene I have, Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it burns going down. <laughs> so. Out of all of these, I think you've already said your favorite is the uh, Guardians coming together, standing in the circle. Yeah, uh, I forgot that we we're supposed to leave it to the end of this segment, but that's definitely my no, favorite. No, no, you can. I I have spoiled my pick several times on this. Okay, so it, it is perfectly fine. Yeah, I uh, I I go back and forth for mine though. Like I love the opening, but I also really love the guardians coming together and i also really love the take my hand moment of peter mm-hmm. letting go and allowing himself um but i think i gotta go with listening to volume two yeah it, it's a great moment yeah i i i love that moment it's letting go moving on and accepting you know what what's done is done and it's now time to to grieve and to allow yourself to grow and to move out of that again, that arrested state of development mm-hmm. for him. And it's yeah. it's it's a great scene. But not all scenes can be great, Robert. <laughs> We're gonna be talking about worst scenes and moments. And I only have two, and they're very small. Um, yeah, I only have one. Only one? Well, you go ahead. It's it's just like um, this might be only one scene, but the stuff between Thanos and Ronan, it's like, I don't really care. I think yeah. Ronan is the weak link in the movie. Um, I think everything with the Guardians is so good, but the villain is just kind of, he's not bad, but he's just fine. Um, and when he's off on some random planet talking to Thanos, who uh, obviously we'll get to know very well in the future, but we don't know really at all much about him other than the Avengers post credit scene just kind of seems tacked on and, and not too, you know, I'm not as invested in that scene. Yeah. The, the Thanos scene, 
the reason it I don't like it as much is because I mean, and I don't hate the scene. Yeah, but me either. It it doesn't add anything to the story. Maybe that Ronan is trying to break out. He's kind of like this adolescent guy, and he's trying to break out of you know under the thumb, being under the thumb of Thanos. Mm-hmm. But the characterization of Thanos in this scene feels so far removed from who he is in Infinity War and who he is in Endgame. Now, it feels a little bit more in line with who how he acts in Endgame. Like, the, I think uh, the Russo said it's like he's the philosopher in Infinity War and he's the butcher in uh, Endgame. It, to me, this doesn't necessarily feel like either of those. It, it feels like a different interpretation of the character before they really hammered down how really Thanos yeah. would be. So I've uh, only seen Endgame the once, um, but the Thanos in that one, in the majority of that one, is the one from like this point in time, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And he kind of feels a little bit removed. It's closer to to this one, but it's, uh, it's still a little far removed, I think. Yeah. Okay. That really hammered down who and what Thanos would be at this time and juncture, I don't think. Which, again, goes to show how much are Marvel movies planned out? I don't know. Right. Um, they probably, like you were saying, have a sketched outline, but like not the minutia of, a, of who a character is at a certain point. Yeah. Um, the next scene I have, and this is the last one, it's really Thanos I need to kill. It's that line from Drax. Now, in the comic books, Drax was bred to be able to defeat Thanos. But in the movies, that's not his character at all. And they don't really, aside from his battle with him in Infinity War, which he largely gets overshadowed uh, by, there's not really... You never really get a scene between them. I mean, he has the one scene on. Um, they they go to it in this movie, the big giant skull. What's that called again? Forgetting the name of it. Yeah, I don't know. But he goes there. It's the scene where uh, Star Lord, you know, has to kill Gamora. But you know, when he pulls the trigger, it's bubbles that come out. Mm-hmm. Um, he. You know, when Drax goes at him, splits them in two, you know, right. or splits them up into a bunch of parts and then he comes back together again. It's very weird. But uh, it never really comes to fruition. You never really get a sense of gratification from this line. It just kind of feels tacked on like, a, ooh, cool, you know, moment for people who know the comic book stuff. But for an average film goer, like, don't this never really comes back yeah i was gonna say is that probably just a nod to people who know what's going on and nod to the comics and maybe for the character in the movie context just that uh maybe he realizes that ronin was just a puppet and that thanos was made him i don't know kill kill his wife and daughter yeah Um, that's just trying to rationalize it yeah Uh, and by the way the whole the whole thing with you, when he said, do you even remember killing my wife and daughter? 
Reminds me of the Hound versus the Viper in Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I thought of that this past time. And I, it's just a fun little thing that I thought and of. And after you said that, my eyes and head hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or not the Hound, I'm sorry, the Mountain and the Viper. Yeah, Mountain and the Viper, man. That's a brutal, brutal fight. Poor Pedro Pascal, man. Um, That's why he has so- to wear a helmet. Yeah, hey, if he had the Beskar helmet, I think he would have been fine. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, so I think my least favorite scene in this is it's got to be the Thanos scene. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's There's not a lot of scenes in this movie that are bad, I don't think. But no. this one, it you don't really need it. Kind of feels yeah. tacked on. Yeah, I think we're in agreement here. Um, moving on to best performance. Uh, for me, it, it's it's Chris Pratt. Uh, I'm I am a, a big Chris Pratt fan. I think he is an underrated actor who I would love to see do more dramatic roles. Uh, we talked about that again on your podcast a few months ago. I I think that he has the capability of being uh, a a great actor. I'm not saying he's not already now. He's really really good, but I feel like he's just waiting for that role to blow people away to go, Oh my God, Chris Pratt, he can do this too. Kind of like Tom Hanks back in the day when he was mostly known for doing um, comedic work and then does Philadelphia and then the one, two punch of Philadelphia Forrest Gump. Um, I think Chris Pratt's kind of waiting for that, but in this movie in particular, he is absolutely great. He captures that spirit of someone who's, Older, but still has the mindset of someone who is kind of, again, in that state of arrested development, who's doesn't want to let go, wants to hold on to these things, and um, doesn't want to get attached to anything, doesn't want to let himself get attached to anything. Uh, I He's funny, he's charismatic, he can handle himself in the emotional moments, like with the Take My Hand and the uh, Listening to Volume 2 scene. So it's He's great in this. Um, who are you going to give best performance to, man? So for me, when I'm thinking of like a best performance in a movie, I think of who shows range, like in the movie itself and in their whole like filmography. So with Chris Pratt, I feel like I agree he gives a great performance in here, but it's also the type of performance I've seen from him a lot, and I know that he can do well. So I'm going to go with Bradley Cooper because. Nice. He, he has done like comedic stuff with, you know, uh, Hangover, Wedding Crashers, stuff like that. But he's known to be like the handsome guy in those. And his the comedy comes from, you know, him being the handsome guy with a toned body and all that. Um, and then obviously he does a lot of dramatic stuff with like Silver Linings Playbook, American Hustle, American Sniper, uh, you know, that Star is Born, that kind of thing. Um, but Rocket Raccoon... If you didn't know that it's him, like if you didn't see in the credits that it was him or you didn't know beforehand, you would have to listen real closely and like put two and two together. It would be really difficult to put it together to realize this this is Bradley Cooper. Uh, I think it's a genius casting. I would never have thought, let's get Bradley Cooper to do this wild raccoon uh, alien thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy because... You, normally when you have a big star like that you want to show off their face 
Especially because Bradley Cooper. He's a handsome star, yeah. Yeah, he's a handsome guy. Uh, So you would think, okay, he's going to be like a lead in a superhero film. And it's like, yeah, he's a lead, but he's a voice. (laughs) And he's Rocket Raccoon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, And he's, I think he has the funniest moments. Uh, And I know it's not him like physically acting it on screen, but if you watch behind the scenes, like, he's totally into it. Like you see a lot oh, yeah. of voice actors doing. So like at the end where he's holding the, the stick of Groot and he's crying um, and Drax comes up and pets his head. I know there was like a stand in for that scene when they filmed it, but Bradley Cooper still has to go to those places emotionally. So he has range in this movie and showed off range just as an actor in general compared to other roles that he's done. Yeah, he is. Uh, that is not a bad pick at all. I cannot fault you for that. He is probably the second standout for me i I love rocket he's so funny um i love the scene of him in guardians 2 where he's taken out that entire uh raven ravager uh, company it's Mm -hmm. (laughs) pretty great uh he he goes to those dramatic places in this and especially like again i highly recommend checking out his behind the scenes stuff of him in the voice um booth recording this it's or recording booth whatever they call it Mm-hmm. Uh, he is terrific. So definitely can't fault you there. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the Does This Make Sense Award. I really only have one thing aside from what we have already kind of talked about, uh, which is how do the aliens know some of these references, like the Jackson Pollock painting and mm-hmm. stuff like that? Like, how do they know that? But to me, the biggest one is what's the backstory of all the Nova Corps and Kree stuff? I it I don't really know. You know what I mean? Like I get it, the Kree used to be like uh he's you know, he says, Some people call me a terrorist, you know, I'm not a terrorist, stuff like that. I don't I don't really know what their whole deal is. I really don't. Yeah. Um for me in, in a case like this I know there's going to be like so much lore and backstory that I don't even know what to write down when I think of like, does this make sense? Because half the time there's just something that's like, oh, if you know about this, then here's the explanation. I'm just like, okay. So I just kind of take that kind of stuff at face value and be like, oh, here's the villain. And oh, here's this like ruling government that also has like a military that protects the the planet or whatever. Um, So I just kind of take that for what it is and just say, okay. Um, uh, so I don't really have too many questions other than like, like in the sense of, does this make sense? There's a, there's a talking raccoon that doesn't make sense. Uh, <laughs> but obviously again, that's just like, this is the universe. Genetically um, engineered talking raccoon. raccoon. <laughs> right. So I just have a couple questions that I think you answered, but I'm going to ask him anyway. Quill, he can hold the stone. Like I know he didn't, he didn't know when he originally grabbed it, but he, he can hold the stone because he's part God, right? Pretty much. Yeah. He's uh, the, as you find out in the second one. He is the son of Ego, who is the living planet, who I have a fan theory that Thanos waited until the Allfather uh, faded and Ragnarok and Odin and uh, Ego died because I think uh, those two guys posed a threat to him. So there's a reason why. In his conquest. Yeah. Um, 
and for he hadn't opened the present yet pretty much for like the this the volume two just for like the emotional reason of he was waiting mm-hmm. like he, he didn't have that closure yet he wasn't ready yep that's so right. but he had opened the card because that's where he got the name star lord right uh i'm not sure uh because it's not think, quite clear because yeah. it would be quite the coincidence if he goes around calling himself star lord and then reads in this note from his mom where she it calls might, him a star lord it might have been a name that he kind of gave himself as a kid because he's he was like apparently like an, a very imaginative kid gotten into fights you know or getting into fights um and stuff like that kind of being bullied a little bit maybe and so he was coming up with names like star lord um I could see him doing that. You know, this was the 80s. Star Wars was around and yeah. um, back to the future. So who knows? Yeah. Well, those are my only questions. So my my pick for what doesn't make sense would probably be um, where did he get the name? Because it's not quite clear if he made it up or if he yeah. took it because that's what his mom wrote or what. So. Now, does she call him Star-Lord at the beginning of the movie when she's in the bed? I don't remember, but I know that she does. She says it in the note. Yeah, she definitely says it in the note. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember if she says it at the beginning of the movie, which is bad. I just watched this movie last night. Yeah, um, she doesn't say much. I think she just says, like, Peter, come hold my hand or something yeah. like that. Uh, your father was composed of pure light. Um, all this other stuff. Um, your dad's going to come get you. Um, yeah. yeah. To me, it's the... The backstory of the Nova Corps and Kree. I just, I don't know what's going on. I, and yeah, you can take it at face value. Um, Car, uh, Carly and I were talking about it last night. Like it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. I would just like mm-hmm. to know the history behind it. Sure. Um, for the movie. Um, so MVP. Uh, for me, it's James Gunn. Man, this is a James Gunn movie through and through uh it's it's got all the james gunn isms to it and it's it's a marvel film but aside from thor ragnarok and this is probably the 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 series where you can definitely see the directors touch the most you can see their style the most and i and i think that it's his style and his ability to write really good screenplays that are funny, but aren't just quippy. You know, they're not just yeah, yeah. not throwing shade at the first Avengers movie where there's not a lot of depth in the first Avengers movie, but everyone's very funny, quippy. This one, the characters are funny and quippy, but they are in their own way. And it, it, it's very unique. And I think that that's kind of James Gunn's calling card. He's very, very good at, with characters and i'm i'm so excited for what he's going to do with the suicide squad mm-hmm. and that craziness <laughs> that looks that movie looks crazy yeah uh i put the same thing actually i agree with you again that james gunn is the mvp because he crafted the story the characters um made it unique from the rest of these marvel movies i would add in there with taika watiti and james gunn i would say you can also see ryan coogler's very Yep, that's uh, specific that's fingerprints one. on Black Panther. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to give that a shout out. But 
but I think James Gunn is what makes this one like transcend the rest of the Marvel movies for me. Um, just the mix of the humor, the action, and the deeply emotionally resonant moments uh, just make it uh, yeah, just make it really, really good overall. Yeah, he is. James Gunn's great and good call on the Ryan Coogler with with Black Panther. That that's a that's a good one, man. That's a that's a great movie. Yeah. Won't be talking about that one uh, this month, unfortunately, but I will be talking about it probably in the future. Nice. So it's a great movie. So at the end of the day, Robert, why would you recommend this movie to somebody? I think this movie has something for just about everyone because if you're intimidated by a superhero movie, it's not quite a superhero. If you don't want to like get into the whole lore of Marvel, you don't really have to, you can just sit and enjoy um, what goes on in this movie on its own. Um, if you're intimidated by something in space, like if it's like too otherworldly for you, you just can't get on board with that. It's still very human. It's still very grounded. You can relate to these characters very easily, even though, you know, he's, he's a gen- genetically modified talking raccoon or like, a green woman and a green man, you know, you, you can still relate to them. Uh, and most of all, for me, like, I love how emotionally resonant it is, but most of all, it's just so watchable and entertaining. Um, whether it's the action or the comedy, I think there's just a lot to love about this movie. Yeah, it's, it is. I, I couldn't say it better myself. This movie is just so good. It's so great. And, I just love the characters, the character work, how funny it is, but also how emotionally resonant it is. It's got all the things that make Marvel movies great without any of the faults that can sometimes hinder some of the Marvel films. Right. I just, I really, really enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah. But that is it for this week's show. Robert, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Um, But in the meantime, where can people find you to listen to your wonderful thoughts? Uh, find me on Twitter, underscore Rob Stocks, Instagram, Robert's Thoughts, robertstashthoughts.com has my, my blog and a link to my podcast, and of course, Set, set Pop. Awesome, awesome. Um, and you're doing a fantastic job on uh, your series for sifpop.com. Uh, Moneyball and La La Land have more in common than you think. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is that was that was a wonderful. I enjoyed that read a lot. <laughs> I enjoyed yes, that read thank a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, we'll be back next week with Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Uh, in the meantime, though, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all the latest content. And while you're at it, go ahead and give me a follow over at Instagram at Ben Davis Movie Podcast, where I post reviews for newer newer movies when they actually release. Um, also be on the lookout for Mandalorian episode one, season two discussion. I'll be doing with, uh, Corey Sanzone, who has been on here before for Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. Uh, those should be dropping every Tuesday, depending on, uh, free time. But, uh, I figured since I'm such a huge Star Wars fan and I'm a big fan of, of that show that I should probably be doing reviews, discussions on those episodes. So that's something to look forward to. Um, they're going to pretty much be open discussions about it. So be on the lookout for those. Um, anyways, guys, till next time, stay classy.